welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. episode of The Big Deal. I'm Jack Dunson and joining me as always is AFL legend Warren Treadrake. Treaders, how are you, mate? I'm good, Hutto. Plenty of uh, business and sport and deals both locally and internationally. Uh, this week's been massive. Yeah, it's been a crazy week. All sorts of stuff happening. Few captains, record deals that are weirdly structured. There's a whole heap of stuff going on, but we'll start close to home with um, Connor Rosie being named Port Adelaide's captain and extending for eight years. So yeah, what what's your thoughts of that, Treaders? Well, yeah, well, let's face it, he, he, he's Port's marquee player with Butters. So Butters signs a two-year extension a couple of weeks ago and takes him through, effectively, he, he already had a one-year contract. So whether they massage that, um, up that, and push that through to he goes to free agency, being a young Victorian, um, and you sit there and go, hey, you've retained a young kid for the next three years, that's great. But all of a sudden, uh, local boy Connor Rosie's named captain um, yesterday and signs an eight-year contract extension until 2032. This is the longest deal alongside Aaron Norton from the Bulldogs, who I think signed a nine-year or eight-year extension, um, similar circumstances. Uh, there's been some reports around, and some of the numbers um, that actually have been broken down on this, is it's a massive, massive deal. So um, for Rosie, they're saying the deal, eight years, 2025 to 2032, is expected net in between nine to $10 million dollars. Um, it also has a trigger to see him handed maybe a ninth season through to 2023, sorry, 2033, should I say. Um, and it'll have the CBA uptick clauses. So I'm not sure if it's 100% of that. So if the salary cap goes up, and the reason for this deal is so big, it actually goes past the current TV deal. Um, wow. Sorry, goes past the current CBA deal. So the unknown numbers are he is contracted and whatever it rises by, or maybe even drops, accordingly, his um, salary will adjust. So on average at the moment, it looks like he's on about $1.1 million a year. So for current market, if you're the Essendon Footy Club, if you're the Colling, maybe not Collingwood Footy Club, they're full of their salary cap. If you're any club, so for example, West Coast, we're looking for a new midfielder. They'd be paying him more than $1.1, considering Dusty Martin got $1.3 back in 2017. Mm. This is a good deal in terms of finance per annum for Port Adelaide. But it begs the question where things go and was he actually ever a flight risk? Well, I don't think he was. Um, no. I can see where his manager would have negotiated this deal. And this is just for me off the top of my head with experience in the game and media around it, not necessarily. And I haven't picked up the phone to anyone I know at Port Adelaide. Um, so I look at it and go, if I'm his manager, Hutto, I go, all right, he's got this year and two more till free agency. And the average extension in free agency for an unrestricted or restricted free agent is generally around the six years. Yeah. So it's easy to see, hey, you want to keep Connor? He's out of contract at the end of 2024. So he's got one year to go. So it's danger time for any club. Um, and if you don't lock him away, it leaves the door open. But it begs the question too that go, okay, the manager clearly holds the cards because he's runner-up best appearance this year, All-Australian. 
And that was only behind Zach Bartis, who won the Coaches Association. Last year, All-Australian for the first time and won the John Carl Medal Best and Fairest. So he's a Best and Fairest. He's a two-time All-Australian. And what is he, 24 years of age, maybe? Um, recently got engaged in the off-season to an Adelaide girl. He's an Adelaide boy, um, North Adelaide junior. He's not going anywhere. He loves the club, uh, believes where the club's headed. So you can understand the deal. And if there is a player you go eight years with in this current crazy system, Connor Rosie is the guy. He doesn't get injured. He plays really well every week. His last two years are upside, have been sensational. His best footy is probably four years away um, if he can stay fit. And he doesn't get injured. Look, touch wood, sorry. Don't want to say yeah. that. Um, he, he's not. He, he's a pretty durable type of player. Um, so for all those ticks, Port Adelaide do a good deal. But it begs the question, not Port Adelaide, but outside of Port Adelaide is, do you think, and I clearly do, we need to get to a stage where maximum deals are maximum deals. So, uh, and I don't necessarily believe that you need to follow uh, American sport. But when Kevin Durant left the goal, uh, Golden State Warriors. He could have signed with the Warriors on a super max deal on a five-year deal to stay. Yep. But because he chose to go to Brooklyn, he got a four-year super max deal. So I think the AFL is in an interesting stage and, uh, and, and obviously not being on the inside of it. Um, and, and that potentially could change in the next couple of months um, with obviously the board stuff I'm looking at. But I, I wonder where the AFL's eyes are looking for to stay that to save the risk, and I know recently the club's boards and uh, senior managers have to sign off on a rosy type of deal to say, hey, you know what you're getting yourself in for. You are fully liable here. If he gets injured, doesn't play a game again, then you are on the hook for $8 million, $9 million, $10 million over that journey. Yeah. Um, but it does beg the question that I've always believed that the players put on the show they should be rewarded. But do we need to go to a, an NFL type model where, uh, sorry, an NBA type model where the maximum you can get is an extension coming out of contract is five years? And Rosie could do that. So what that would say in this instance, if we had those rules, is he would effectively go to free agency. Mm-hmm. He'd sign his two-year extension on really good money. He'd go to thing and it'd probably get his five years anyway. But what it doesn't do is just have the club totally on the hook for that time. Uh, and clearly this would have some sort of triggers. Yeah. Um, performance where there is elements, you know, the, um, I think they're getting super creative how how clubs and managers do these deals and all, all obviously has to be ratified by the AFL. But I'd love to be in a situation where imagine if you are an All-Australian, a best and fairest winner or multiple Australian, multiple best and fairest winner, premiership winner, rising star winner. So even when your young kids come out of contract after their three years, there should be a maximum rookie deal. Yeah, I mean, that can be, if you are a Nick Dacos of the world, you should be able to command an absolute premium. And we see that with the NBA. Um, We see that where uh, we're going to look at marquee-type players going forward. So clearly, Rosie-type is a marquee-type. For me, Aaron Norton's not a marquee-type. He hasn't proven it beyond that model. So, you know, if you did look at that Supermax extension, you know, go back to the Kevin Durant situation, you know, you, you might be able to move on if you are that franchise-type player. There is, you know, the eligibility. You tick all the boxes, best and fairest, all Australians, or top five or top three in the best and fairest, multiple Australian premierships. Then if you want to move elsewhere, it can only be on a, a five-year deal or four-year deal. And then if you want to stay where you are, there's that incentive to stay with that franchise for an extra year on top of it. So I think that's a lot of things they need to talk about. 
But also, too, on an off-field instance, um, we talked about Butters early. He was named vice-captain at Port. Pau Pepper, who's turned his career around, been sensational, had some massive challenges off the field and behaviour stuff. He was rewarded to being in the leadership group, Dan Houston and Willem Drew, who just signed a four-year extension as well. So, uh, as we say, the, the silly season is happening. Um, and it's straight over the Adelaide uh, Footy Club. Um, haven't seen any other deals around the AFL just yet, but um, young Luke Peddle has signed for a further two years. This kid can seriously play. Um, booted 25 goals in 21 matches. Um, was, you know, was going to like the the Rosie Butters deal. They're going to come out of contract end of next season. So he's now tied to the Crows until 26, 2026. So um, that's what happens as you do. You um, have to retain the young talent. And obviously the two teams in Adelaide have certainly done that and, re- you know, retain not just young talent, but superstar talent if you're talking about Port Adelaide. He was dubbed as a draft bolter, Luke Pedler, with um when he was selected um, in that first round, and he's lived up to it every step of the way. I think he's been sensational. Just quickly back on Rosie, the captaincy shredders. His age, obviously, a lot of people were concerned about that. It's too early. What's your thoughts around that? Uh, I don't think age is... Um, it certainly can be a consideration, but North Melbourne didn't think about that when Wayne Carey was put in at 21. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Kernahan left... I think Adelaide at 21 or 22, or maybe in 23, he was already captain at Glenelg and within a year he's captain at Carlton. So I don't think age, I think it's temperament, I think it's attitude, I think it's professionalism. Um, the biggest challenge I think he will face, like any young captain, is to challenge people. And, yeah. you know, we, we talk about trademarks in footy clubs. How do you want to see what are your behaviours you want, you know, to be professional on and off the field, to fulfil your... Uh, we saw it in the NBL. One of the players was masked at Melbourne Phoenix simply because he hadn't done his body's on-field professionalism and um, attitude to his off-field commitments. Um, and I think that's the big cha- challenge. And for young Rosie, he'll take some time um, because he's learning the caper. Um, and I was at yesterday's press conference as a former captain, and he said it's his first time he's going to captain a club. He's going to learn. He's going to learn the hard way. He's going to have the challenges. And when you lose, it's when you learn more than when you win. Um, but if he is going to be fulfill what I hope as a Port fan he turns out to be, he's going to have to challenge the board. He's going to have to challenge the CEO. He's going to have to challenge the senior coach and assistant coaches and other players when he sees something that doesn't fit. And that is difficult. And that's something that I did mm. successfully and very unsuccessfully over the journey. <laughs> Matthew Primus did that before me. Um, but there's been a lot of captains in the AFL since that one don't even sit on selection. Um, I think as a captain, you you should be a part of those serious decisions because as much as coaches think they have a grip, mm-hmm. they don't have a grip on who the players respect, who the players would go to war with. Um, so I think that's something, a part of his progression that um, he's going to have to take on. And also the, the challenge he'll face in that is to staying fresh too because you do take on a lot as captain. Um, it's not just extra photos. It's extra media when you lose. It's the face of the brand. It's when you go shopping. You, know, you, you are 24-7 watched and... I think he's a wonderful ambassador for Port Adelaide and a wonderful footballer, and he'll grow as a leader in that journey as long as he's got enough support around him. So, so just quickly on that again, Cheddar's like your relationship with your teammates. Like, if you're making those decisions, how how does that sort of work in a football club atmosphere when you're sort of a bit influenced, like you're influencing somewhat selection to an extent? Um, it's either whether you are being listened to at selection or not, but you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you need to be you need to be respected and have your back ground and backyard clean and, and I always thought that and I saw a quote the other day on Instagram Michael Jordan said I never asked anyone to do what I wasn't prepared to do myself and I think that's the key start for a leader is if you want to 
you know, pledge your behavioural standards off the field, then you can't be the last bloke in a nightclub or blokes getting up to no good and getting in the headlines all the time. So um, does it alienate you from some of your teammates? Absolutely. But do you want to win or do you want to be liked? Yeah. Do you want to be respected? Couldn't give a shit if you liked. <laughs> and I've always had that attitude. I think yeah. people who know me know me, people who don't like me. My, my, my criticisms as a player were too serious, too professional, too stiff. Oh, buddy, we really like him when he gets pissed. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that, that paints the picture for you. Changes um, up a bit. Yeah, like, does that work? Yeah, you're human too. You've got to say the human side. But reality is you're here to win. Yeah. And this is where the standards, and sometimes people don't like what I say publicly, but I, I live my by standards publicly as I do privately. And if you've got something to hide, it's all those people that lash out at you got something to hide. Um, and if you want to be a professional actually, you want to get the best out of yourself, you don't want to be lying here like me right now, 44-year-old, 45, working out how I can exercise, lose a bit of weight, but not have a back spasm or hurt my sore knee. You, know, you, don't want to have, you don't want to have those worries in life where you're actually going, I wish I should have, could have, would have. You know, there's plenty of, plenty of front bars around Australia full of those super talents that probably better talented than half the players who ever played the game, 90% of players, but never never, never actually put the, the bit between the teeth and thought, you know what, I'm going to compromise going out and partying. I'm going to compromise my 18th and 21st birthdays to put something forward. And um, that's that's my challenge to any young footballer is how much do you really want it? Because there's plenty of blokes who find a career and scrap their way to 100 or 200 games mm. and have a 10-year career and life member when they're not super talented, but they give the role. And they're the blokes you want to go to war with. So, um, yeah, it's all about being respected, not liked. Yeah. The uh, yeah, This week as well, the AFL concussion stuff sort of hit another um, snag with um, recommendations the way sort of footy training goes down with um, Victorian coroner John Kane's findings of the death of uh, former Richmond player Shane Tuck. So the AFL has been urged um, among these uh, recommendations to limit the amount of contact training sessions that are allowed ahead of the 2025 pre-season, as well as high independent doctors to assess players on the receiving end of the head knock. Of course, this year we saw different concussion issues, um, especially in the showdown with Alir Alir. So it would put the hand, like put it in the hands of probably more of an independent doctor than a club doctor. So what do you think of that sort of those recommendations well, that were found? Well, as we said, uh, you know, I called the game for five double A that showdown, and known Mark Fisher, who was the doctor at Port Adelaide in my time, and hold him in absolute high regard. But they didn't, uh, Port didn't test for some reason. I can't remember what the reason was or whatever. Um, with a head collision with Alia, and he played out the rest of the game and played quite well. But um, I think it needs to be taken out of the club's hands. Doctors don't get swayed, but you'd have to be foolish to think they don't be pressured. Because if yeah. I'm a senior coach going, what, I need an answer? Well, I don't have an answer. I need to know what's going on. Is he available to play? We're one man down. Do we activate our sub? There's pressure from everyone. And as soon as there's win-loss performance, finals, money at the end of that, sponsorship money, prize money, it, it, it creates that muddying of the lines. Um, so I like the fact that he's come back with the fact that you need to look at trying to limit head traumas. And that's what the game has done ever since the litigations have rolled out. But the, the Shane Tuck situation is a sad situation. You know, mm. I remember meeting him many times. He's a lovely fella. He then went into boxing and got a couple of really bad knockouts. And I think one of the fights he actually did was one of the undercards for the Mundine Green fight in Adelaide, which set a record, I think, at that stage for uh, pay-per-view. But... um. And his career was short-lived. He obviously played, I think, with Goody Saints in the uh, South Australian Amateur Footy League. Mm. 
Um, but then obviously he had some serious issues with some of the um, um, his head traumas that he's had and it affected his life, which was a really sad situation. But if the AFL needs to, you know, we talk about getting serious here, the amount of limit, the amount of contact training sessions um, ahead of the 2025 pre-season, well, that's saying it's not happening now. If they're serious about happening now, they'd move to do it quite comfortably. Because if anyone goes and watches an AFL club train now, and even in my time, and I finished in 2010, we used to laugh at... Um, a joke that we yeah oh yeah we're going to do four quarters so you'd end up doing a four quarter training session over two you know over two plus hours in the morning starting at eight in the morning finish at ten thirty sometimes still twelve o'clock it felt like forever they break it into quarters so you get a drink at quarter time but then you'll do running just before you do it you do the majority of preseason running um, with your boots on now in competitive drills so we used to argue that it would be eighteen on ten. So you make the drill work in a full competitive hit out. Then it goes to 18 on 15. Then it goes to a bear drill, which effectively started um, half back line turnover into a full competitive drill. So in the end, we're just playing games the whole time. So that would be a serious change up of pre-season. The idea of independent doctors, I really like that. Mm. Um, but I just don't know how you're going to taper with the full contact training sessions because part of your training and preparation for a game is not only running. Because I used to always rock up pre-season generally if I didn't have an injury, really fit. Mm. But I'd be sore for the first two weeks because your body, no matter what you train and how hard you train away from it, whether it's sand dunes or ball kicking or whatever, first week you're replicating actual as close to game stuff as much as you And you can't do that in the park by yourself. So a lot of that soreness comes and that preparation for round one or the pre-season games comes competitive drills. So being able to taper that, I just don't know how you're going to fully prepare um, for a season. But if the AFL says, yes, let's do that, well, everyone needs to be doing it, but it's how you monitor that. Because once these rules are established, clubs are finding and coaches' job is to find a way to perform best to those rules and manipulate those rules so you don't break those rules, if that makes sense. I was going to say, like, with these uh, no contact, like, surely the tackling method the way it's all would have to be trained and taking away that would that not make, probably cause potentially more injuries in these natures yeah and this is the the bit from an independent on the outside um who hasn't been in club land since i retired 2010 is that i remember the rule the concussion where byron pickett cleaned up old school shirt front james begley fumbled the ball back mm. in the day that turned into the head of sacrosanct. But from that moment, once they said the head of sacrosanct, what were players doing? Players, instead of getting sideways and leading with their shoulder and protecting their body with their shoulders, ass, and hips, were now leading head on, going, oh, if I get hit in the head, I get a free kick. Yeah. That's the problem fundamentally where we see so many people launching head first. Even if you're running head first into a pack, smart bits would be you slightly test cover yourself at the end. Mm. Um, but now they're paranoid is the players don't want to get their a minute part of a second second of the contest otherwise you're cleaning someone up and you're cleaned up so i think fundamentally it needs to come back to blokes who just get low and protect themselves mm. if they're doing that fundamentally they can't be penalized because no. if you are second you can't just pull out it's not like i always say it's not like the matrix movie where neo just dodges a bullet and just goes yeah it takes some time out it doesn't work like that so there needs to be a reasonableness in this and if the intent is to play the ball and to get you low and get shoulder and not drop your shoulder in and bump, then 
accident con- contact is going to happen in this game. Yeah. I'm lose sight of that. It's bound to happen. Yeah. All over the place. Um, as well, so another bit of news, I think it was just only yesterday, um, Daisy Pierce was named the uh, West Coast Eagles AFLW coach, which I think is the first probably main star. Well, obviously, Lauren, Lauren Arnell played in the premiership and then coached Port Adelaide, but main star that is now um, as a senior coach. Yeah, well, it's funny, isn't it? It's um, she, She's obviously, what, two seasons ago, uh, Daisy won the premiership, mm-hmm. retired. Um, then took a four-year deal at Geelong to be their development coach down there. Yep. Um, by all reports, very good at what she does. Um, continued working in the seven commentary box and now has taken this job as a full-time job, um, replacing former, I think, Eagle and Bomber Michael Pryor, who spoke out about the golfing talent um, yep. not long before stepping down. So Trevor Nisbet and uh, Don Pike, who's soon to be CEO there, um, have pretty much gone and got the best person available they think is available. Um yeah, and I think she'll be pretty good. It's going to be a, a slow burn, and obviously move the family um, over over west. But uh, and by all reports, too, um, we'll stay in the seven commentary box for the uh, men's AFL season. So it's funny, isn't it? People always talk about conflicts of interest with some board members, and you know, there's Jimmy Bartell, there's um, um, there's uh, Lee Matthews, Luke Darcy, Mark Rashuda, who are current board members working in the media, and now. Yeah, you know, we've seen it a little bit locally with Sean Burgoyne working as a development coach at Court, but also working for uh, Triple M and Channel 7. But now we're seeing Daisy be a coach in an AFL system, an AFLW system. And I'm not sure if her role includes West Coast AFL team weekday, but she's still going to be uh, commentating on the uh, broadcast network. So uh, who says people don't have conflicts in AFL? Mm, I think Mick Malthouse even in that. <laughs> Even in uh, your like your playing days, he was on the ten broadcast. I think he was on the broadcast for the uh, 04 finals. Even. Yeah, well, I think he I think he did that after they'd been knocked out. And yeah. I, I don't think yeah, you know, even Michael Voss did. I think in the COVID years with the Brisbane Grand Final was that twenty twenty. Twenty twenty was the twenty twenty. Yep, last one Geelong. Yeah, yeah, he he was. He, he did that grand final and I loved his analysis, but obviously from being in the coach's box and I think he was a port development uh, assistant coach then. Yep. Um, once your season is done, that's fine. But yeah, it, it's interesting that now it's um, it's been a case where you know, there's people working in AFL coaching setups and now being broadcasting as well. And um, it'd be interesting to see how she finds herself and what, what um, close line she's going to have to tread. Yeah, because we obviously had the uh, great lockout incidents at the start of this season, but she was left out of locker rooms. Yeah, yeah. And really, as big a story as that is, I can understand the clubs who want to do that. Yep. Um, because, you know, you want secrecy and you want to keep your plans inside. But what are you really going to see? Apart from, a, you know, a few key, key trigger comments and bits and pieces. Not yeah. much. Nowadays, you see a lot of, a lot of um, uh, sponsorship signage. Um, and the other, and the other bit too is probably the biggest one is the injury question marks. But there's cameras in rooms now, so that 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 case is, I think, is just posturing from clubs. Yeah, nothing, nothing's a secret anymore. No. Now, Traders, what if I told you that um, Tasmania's entry in the AFL would be thwarted by a railway shed? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Oh, uh, is it something like uh, my guess? Heritage listed yep. video? Oh, is it? Heritage Absolutely. shed. Yeah, a 108-year-old shed historically used to store railway goods. Has, uh, it might be a bit of a snag for the uh, 19th entrant into the competition. 
So obviously the AFL has been quite insistent on a stadium. Um, being reliant for their interesting competition would be a 23,000-seat roof stadium at Quarry Point. However, the shed, which was uh, built in 1915, has provisional heritage listing by the Tasmanian Heritage Council. Um, so it's now up to the owners of the shed, the Macquarie Point Development Corporation. They have 21 days to respond before public submissions can be made. And then the local council decides whether the listing is final if it's heritage listed. So the, there was mentions about the proposal that they could move it or that, yeah, but that then the last plans were it's gone. But one of the primary elements of it is the location. So otherwise it's just a random shed that was moved. So Mate, how, how ridiculous is this? Well, let's let's face it. There's been people have who've drilled drilled holes and put petrol in trees to get a yeah, heritage listed tree out the way, yep. <laughs> or a significant tree out the way. Oh, um, yeah. Are we going to let a hundred and eight year old shed that probably no one's using but is sitting there empty or with some old uh, railway sleepers or something um, going to stop football from getting its own AFL license? I don't think so, but it looks like they have to go through the process. Um, and, and, and then hopefully it'll be, hopefully it'll be re rehomed at another location close by. Yeah. That put turn into the change room somehow. <laughs> oh, mate. What the away, the away ones, mate. Put the yeah. cold water, <laughs> cold water through them. No what, heaters. What? What were the worst ones that you ever dealt with in your playing days? The away changes. Oh, memory. Um, Surely, could you I reckon it had. Yeah, that wasn't great early days. Um, yeah, Princess Park wasn't great. Now, conveniently, the heater was probably one heater for about ten showers, oh. <laughs> and then the conveniently the pressure was all off effectively one small water main that fed those 10 showers. So if you're lucky enough to get any warm water, it was needle thin. Jesus. Yeah. It's, it's almost like you had to wet yourself, lather yourself <laughs> with soap, and then hopefully rinse off as quick as you could. Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> even though a couple of stinky old teammates of mine never used to have a shower. That's Ugh. awful. That's, That's gross. disgusting. Uh, Netball, now, it's all now, over. We've been Netball. clipping them for months. <laughs> This morning, this morning, Tuesday, the 12th of December, Nepal Australia Chief Executive Kelly Ryan has resigned effective immediately. That says to me it's a big old shove in the back. Um, yeah. And you know what? Sometimes in these situations, good people go. I don't know Kelly. I don't know her performance from inside. I don't know parameters. But effectively, if you can't get either you as you know Chief Executive or your board, get a deal done with the players then um, TikTok and the embarrassment time. that goes with it, there needs to be change. There needs to be heads to roll. And, you know, it's a pretty chaotic time Netball's had, you know, their pay dispute. It's going to plenty of attention. The fact that they tried to do a deal to say, oh, yeah, if you sign this, you can represent Australia at the World Cup. But the players said get stuffed. They won the World Cup anyway and we're still probably <laughs> two months since then where they hadn't been paid. So... Um, I think end of August was their last payment. So now it looks like common sense has prevailed. We announced that deal a couple of weeks ago, but there was always going to be a full person and Kelly Ryan looks like she's in. Yeah, it was a firm uh, middle finger to uh, win that while not signing anything, I'll tell you what. Now, another shame. Nick Kyrgios is uh, out of the Australian Open, which is, um, yeah, obviously knee and wrist injury, but he confirmed it via his OnlyFans channel, which, um, yeah, very bizarre. But... Yeah, what's it going to do for TV ratings, Chad? Is like obviously being on the inside. It would before it would be um, 
be a head scratch. I'd like to lose probably one of the biggest pools of what people because I tune in to watch Nikirios, but I wouldn't tune in to watch most others. Yeah, and this is the first thing facing tennis. I love Djokovic. I love his stance in life. I love his stance for some, whatever he believes in, right? And whether you believe that or not, he stands for what he thinks is right. So he he is he is a um, he's a draw card, but he hadn't been the draw card that Nadal and particularly Federer were um, previously. So uh, a little bit of an uh, insight into all of this is the uh, broadcasters, and in this case, you know. In Australia, it's it's the nine network who've got the TV ratings. Took it off probably four years ago off seven uh, network. Yep. who went to cricket. They did the switchy switch, even though it wasn't just a, hey, we'll do this, you do that. Um, I think ESPN, Eurosport by memory. I think even Sky in India might do it. Star in India, sh- should I say. So there are broadcasters at different times, and that appeals to different broadcasters. See, in America and Europe, during the day appeals to them, mm. you know, because that's late at night into their time zones, whereas in Australia, the late night, um, is the best one. So they don't want the big names playing during the day. So all the networks can pretty much pitch to uh, Tennis Australia throughout the tournament who they want at different times, who wins through. But let's face it, um, Ash Barty um, in the COVID year won, mm-hmm. right? And that was just massive for ratings. You know, clearly, attendance is restricted in Victoria under Dan Andrews's leadership um, with COVID going through, who was in, who was out. There are all those times when up until midnight before everyone could be at a, at the stadium and then they were going into lockdown. So there was a lot of headaches that Tennis Australia and the athletes had to work through in that pandemic. Um, but Ash Barty was really a bit of a saviour in terms of huge numbers, huge broadcast numbers, huge ratings, uh, revenues coming in, in in a time where the sport, professional sport worldwide has been challenged. Now, Nick Kyrgios is, whether you like him or not, he is a draw card. Yeah. So tell me an Australian bloke who's going to draw card, even to stage with, Thanasi and Kyrgios a couple of years ago, I think, won the uh, doubles at Australian Open. Mm. That was massive. That got boosted ratings because the Aussies love a winner. We want to get behind someone, even though we we could think he can be a bit of a flog at times. I actually like him. He calls it what he calls it, whether you like him. You don't have to agree with his opinion. It's just an opinion. So if I'm a TV boss at one of those networks, particularly Nine and Tennis Australia, I'd be livid. You know, you know, he hasn't applied for a wild card. He hasn't played. He's, you know, he missed last year with a knee injury. He's then said by OnlyFans, as you said, this is a wrist injury this time around. So when there's no ratings or ratings are lower, um, they'll need someone else to step up and they'll hope that they can find an Aussie who's going to surprise a few people and get into the third, fourth round potentially um, to keep those ticking along because he's Nick Kyrgios. You can go and have a look at him play. Um on the third stadium, I'm not sure what they call it now, Margaret Court's next door, not Rod Laver, the other one. Uh, it was Vodafone Arena back in the day. It was Hisense. And I think it's um, – oh, there's a name for it. There's a new name now. Um, and when he plays out there, it's like a nightclub and it goes off. Um, but the fact that he's broken his news on OnlyFans, that says to me he's done it Nick Kyrgios's way. Yeah. And he, by all reports, he's not going to be using OnlyFans like other um, single men or single women are using OnlyFans for. No, I think it's Kia Arena. Kia Arena, is that what it's called now? I think so. Um, John, John, John Kane Arena. John Kane Arena. Yeah, John Kane Arena, so I reckon. That's yeah. where the uh, South East Melbourne Phoenix play as well. Yeah, I reckon right. that's the one where he plays now. Yeah, so when he generally likes playing, that's the old Vodafone Arena. So it's it's amazing when you you, you recognise arenas now off the back of <laughs> who uh, who's sponsoring them. Old Colonial Stadium. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, great. Maybe we'll wheel out Burn Atomic. Hopefully, 
That'd be good to see. That'd yeah, be... he might need to get himself fit. Yep, probably. Something else that needs to get himself fit is the BBL pitch at bloody Cadinia Park. Is, Jesus, what's going on here? The Melbourne Renegades game with the first scorches were banned due to the state of the pitch because rain had leaked through it um, and caused it to become safe and the game was abandoned. First game abandoned in its 555 match history because the ball was bouncing everywhere. Like, it was one of those bouncy balls that kids pick up at the shops where they just yeet into the air. Yeah, well, this is the bit that um, obviously rains leaked through the covers and the lead up to the mm. game, causing the pitch to be all over the joint. Um a game abandoned for the first time in the 555 match history. Unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. But I think it really probably showed where Big Bash was for the start. Probably not quite 100% prepared. Did you ever see Amy Shark, the music guru, mm-hmm. recorder, see her first ball? No. Up at Brisbane. Didn't hit the pitch. Wide, way left. Oh, no. It took me back to um, Johnny Howard in oh, Afghanistan John- bowling <laughs> where he nearly bowled on his toes and knocked him out. And following that, Joel Selwood, first ball oh. down at Cadinia Park, wasn't pretty too. So maybe if we're going to roll out these big names and we're going to let rain leak through the covers, the Cricket Australia via the BBL needs to just give themselves a bit of an uppercut and say, let's let's get a reset. If we're yep. going to get roll out superstars, make sure they can hit the pitch. Yeah, now they, think- they do it in America with the first pitch. I think we need to, um, with the first ball, with Amy Shark and Joel Selwood, come on, got to be better than that. I think Paddy Dangerfield made a bit of an excuse for uh, Joel's bowling as well because it was a genuine pie, so <laughs> <laughs> not too great pitch regardless. Of it. Exactly. Things that are not awful, Treaders. The NBL, it's been amazing. It's been good to work inside it for the past uh, year or so. Um, there was a time the NBL was just up shit creek without a paddle, to be blunt, um, but now um, free-to-air stations will be fighting for it because the broadcast deal is up at the end of the season. Yeah, and this is what I love what Larry Kesselman's done. I think if you, I was only on uh, Wikipedia the other day, and you can't always trust that in terms of being correct. No. But I think he bought into Melbourne Tigers, mate. I reckon he sacked Trevor Kalisa not long into it. He rebranded a Melbourne United. He then bought the NBL. Um, then closer to home, blokes like Grant Kelly's gone into the 36ers, invested big money. Uh, Craig Hutchison took over a long time ownership over in Perth to now. Um, sports Entertainment Network. So his uh, SEN crew bought, owned that over there. And you look at the various owners around the place. But more importantly, I think what happens here, and I've always been a big believer that the V8 supercars do it better than most. They'll sign every autograph. They'll do any promo and working in radio and TV. They would do any, you know, race go-karts. Yeah, we'll do that for PR. We'll do that for our sponsors. I liken it too with the uh, the NBL. And we only seen what happened during the week. Um, with Mitch Creek's team near Melbourne Phoenix, they march one of their senior players from not fulfilling his obligations off the court. And, and I think they do this very, very well. And that's why it is a hot product. Basketball is having a boom. It's having a boom in America. You know, we touch on that mid-season period that's um, popped up and the Lakers just won. We'll touch on that soon. But uh, full credit to everyone at the NBL and the club owners and players because their current broadcast deal um, will complete at the end of the season. It's understood power brokers are pretty keen for the relationship to keep going between Foxtel, KO, ESPN and 10, which has helped them succeed. But when you see 10 tapped on, they only do one game on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. Um, and, and that's linked to their Paramount set out. So, but oh, I think ESPN does it wonderfully well. Um, and obviously them being on on the Foxtel KO network, it helps them. And, and I think it's niche too. You know, if you were to go back to free-to-air, and even Larry Kesselman said he doesn't think free-to-air broadcast is what it was in the past. 
No. Um, because you are driving a niche product. And yeah, that probably works for AFL because they've got deeper product po- uh, pockets. Um, and Foxtel need to have that aspect to it as well. Um, you know, hence why Foxtel effectively KO gives you footy and cricket, the two big uh, sports of the summer. Then you can get your niche uh, on the on the outside. But the way basketball is growing and the participation levels are huge, I wouldn't be doing anything other than demanding a decent TV deal out of the current paying networks because I think it's been a winner. You look at their coverage, it's very good. You look at their coverage and access to players, it's unbelievably unbelievably good. And hence why, you know, a few weeks ago, um, I went along and saw Adelaide, and Adelaide uh, had a struggling season, sacked their coach and made some tough calls. But, you know, you're getting nearly 10,000 people at Adelaide Entertainment Centre. You know, you look at Melbourne United, they're strong. You look at Kansas form um, has improved a bit. Perth has always done historically well. So people are uh, effectively choosing to get to games, but also watch on the broadcast too. So they've done unbelievably well considering, go back six, seven, eight, nine, ten. you had... You know, insolvent clubs, a league that yep. no one was really interested in, you know, post the Andrew Gaze sort of era and the Brett Maher era and the big names and all that. Um, but off the back of the success of what they've done unbelievably locally, we've got a lot of young guys with this next generation stuff with Josh Giddy and these types of players going overseas and doing really, really well. So it's showing young kids that if you take up the game, support the game, and if you're good enough, you can find your way to be an NBA star, whereas years gone by, you had to do college and then you had to leave at 16 years of age and you never know where things are going to end up. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to say, stay on the current broadcast. And like you said, the fans are still screaming. Like It was pissing down on Saturday night and we still had 9K yeah. at the 36s, which was incredible. So no, it's, it's flying. And it's a great night's good. entertainment. Yeah. Now, you can talk about Big Bash. It's a good night's entertainment. Um certain footy grounds, you know, you go and watch the footy, but I think Port Adelaide's pregame is as good as anywhere um, in terms of AFL. But what other sports are got an amazing pregame? I'm not sure netball has. I think the feel the basketball's got with music playing and the Hungry Jacks promo is amazing. You, you, The opposition player misses two free throws and everyone gets a junior cheeseburger or something, whatever it is. So kids yeah. love it. It's really, you know, you talk about point of sale and branding and association. I think the NBL's got it nutted. They're just going to yeah. keep doing what they do. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's incredibly fun to go along to and yeah, incredibly fun to work in. Um, Rugby Australia's uh, old uh, Eddie Jones, um, remember how he said he wasn't going to join Japan, he wasn't going to join Japan, and now he's set to be appointed as Japan's coach. <laughs> yeah, It's well, amazing how it works. Well, if he, even if he wanted to, he couldn't admit to it when he did. It didn't no. look good that Australia was losing, I think, for Fiji for the first time ever in a World Cup and got flicked out. Mm. Um, but, yeah, if this means that um, Rugby Australia gets their heads sorted and gets it all sorted, then I think it's the best thing forward. Because at the moment, you effectively had a coach who wanted to come in, obviously didn't like what he wanted, uh, what he saw, wasn't getting the results. No. And he's decided to get up and go. Well, if that's the case, I've always been a believer. If someone doesn't want you to be there, you, you know, if you don't want to be there, don't be there. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than someone being forced to stay when they don't want to be there. We've seen it so many times. Yeah. No, so it's a yeah, good result for him, obviously, going off to coach in Japan. But, yeah, leaves the Wallabies still wondering what's going on. Their rival code, the Rugby League, um, Andrew Abdo, the CEO, has made a bit of a bold prediction. Obviously, they're going to Las Vegas. Uh, hopefully, get a bunch of TVs watching. All the Americans get involved. 
sold club executive by uh, 2028, Lee could be making 60 million bucks over five years from broadcasting. What do you yeah, reckon? and this is into the United States. And clearly, um, mm. with um, News Corporation, who was, owns Foxtel and Sky over um, and and in different and Fox over in America, well, they're they're thinking too that hey, if there is some interest, and the games in Vegas are obviously for that reason. And then the other side is probably involved in the US betting, which has gone absolutely crazy. The Americans will bet on anything um, during the day. Um, so if there is a sport and there is a trend and people get interested that way, well, then so be it. But, you know, I think it's a bold move. It's funny, though, because these comments can be, oh, you're an idiot. You're not going to make $60 million in five years. You know what? They probably will because if you get 0.0001% of the market in America, well, that's probably $60 million. It's huge mm-hmm. money flows when you've got, what, about 400 million people compared to what have we got? Less than just than the 30 million people. So, um, yeah, I think it's bold. I think it's ambitious. I like people that take risks and do things as um, mm-hmm. long as they're not foolish and stupid. Um, yep. But, you know, closer to home, the NRL move, uh, moves are on their way, and this is what I think they do quite well. You know, West Tigers yeah. have up the ante in a chase for adding, for now, Blake, who's becoming... Um, the first club to table an offer for the star player, the West Tigers, and it's courting. It's been reported at News Corp that its um, offer is four years and worth close to a million a season. That's huge money, mm. um, and you know he's requested an immediate release from his contract because um, he's contracted uh, locked in until mm. twenty twenty six with the Warriors. So they're pretty much saying no for next year, but maybe for twenty twenty five, and that's what they do well. Whereas you look at um, Capewell joins the Warriors. The Warriors have made a major move in the player market, mm-hmm. signing a premiership winning second rower, Kirk Capewell, effective immediately. Well, he's inked a three-year deal, locks him in to the end of 26. He had a contract with the Broncos, wasn't due to expire to the end of next season, 2024, but they negotiated an immediate release, um, which obviously frees up space for the, the Broncos to go and chase who they want. So um, it's amazing how NRL sort of has that system we were, you know you look through the lens of the AFL system where you go well if it, there's no player movement effectively in season um but I think that that's an area that AFL can look at and you know the, the thing is you go well why doesn't NRL have a draft and trade period well they effectively just run on contract you're out of contract you're in soccer terms a bossman free transfer you go to wherever you want whereas the AFL then go well if you're out of contract you've got to strike a deal um yeah. so there's there's the best way of, of two. Um, and, and I think we've matured enough to say that that's the NRL. If you're out of contract, say the end of the 2024 season, effectively, as soon as you hit into that season, you can start negotiating with other clubs. So, you know, the maturity around professional sport now is a lot better as opposed to burning people's fence down to going, how dare you leave our club? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's how people would probably handle it. Now, yeah. I think one million bucks is probably a lot of money. Say for a contract, and we spoke about kind of Rosie's contract at the beginning of the show about eight years. That's a long time. Yeah. How about Shahay Atani's contract at the MLB? Ten yeah, it is seven hundred million dollar deal. But the way this is structured is one of the most bizarre things ever. Run us through. Yeah, and this is the US seven hundred million US. Yeah. So this is bill. yeah, it's over a billion um, Aussie dollars if you look at it. So. This is what's interesting. So you sit there and go, wow, his previous offers were, you know, 350 over 10 or 450, but 700, this is just out of this world. So we've been thinking about it. You know, we've got a little group chat that we have amongst our guys who do this podcast. And we thought, oh, we'll send all the info through in a clay at the end of the week. And when we record, we record. Hmm. When we first saw this, this is almost 
double what was expected. Yeah. Now, and bear in mind, um, Otani effectively earns around 35 to 40 million US dollars in sponsorships. Like right. he, he is one of the biggest, he's a two-time MVP, big-time pitcher. Um, effectively, they're saying he, he wanted to get to the Dodgers. Yeah. But we understand now the way the payments are set up, and this is all above board with the league, he'll only receive $2 million a year for the first 10 years. Right. So that says the remainder of his deal, you know, he's agreed to not forego it, but postpone receiving the payments. Mm. So it has implications for the, the salary cap, right? So go from being $70 million a year for 10 years, 700 total. Yep. He's effectively getting $2 million a year for the first 10 years, right? Yep. And then the remainder of the deal, once he's 10 years up, Right, so 2024 yep. to 2033, he gets two million a year per annum, right? Which is about 300 Aussie, uh, sorry, three million Aussie a year, right? But from 2034 to 2043, long after his contract is finished, he gets 68 million a year for the next 10 years. Jeez. Wow. So it says on the outside, whilst it's amongst the rules, it. it He's effectively being paid a 10-year contract over a 20-year period. Right. Right. And it's not evenly spaced. So, you know, we talk about a week ago when it's announced, they're saying that this could have been done because it eclipsed the Lionel Messi deal, so it's the richest deal in American sports history. Right? So he's effectively gone from being the highest-paid player in American sport and the highest-paid player in the NFL. Um, NFL, sorry, not NFL, the MBL, um, Major Baseball League. I'll spit that out. <laughs> MLB, um, bruv, Major League yeah. Baseball. <laughs> yeah, I'm just reading my note here and I've written NFL, so I don't know why that is. Um, <laughs> Major League Baseball. So he's gone, edit that. He's gone from being the highest paid player in American sport and then also the highest paid player in the Major League Baseball. He is now the 17th highest paid player on the Dodgers roster. <laughs> So talk about creative accounting. I've never seen anything like this. That's PR so, spin. Yeah. So, and for the to understand this business side of it, whilst he's only getting two million in the pocket, right, US, mm-hmm. it won't be treated for their tax. They call it or their salary cap purposes. It'll it'll still be right counted as forty six million on their books for their salary cap. Right. Right. But that saves them. 24 mil. 24 mil on the cap. Tell me how this is. Apparently, it's all above board. How is this above board? So he gets board? 2 million a year for 10 years. All right. He gets the remaining 68 over the following 10 years where he could be on, a, on his own bloody island in the Bahamas. But because they're only putting 46, allegedly 46, right, of the 70 on the cap, what can the Dodgers do? Who have got so much money and there's luxury tax rules and all these sorts of things. They can go and spend the gap on getting better players. <laughs> because in baseball, if you spend over a luxury Jeez. track, you pay a tax. But what they're doing here is effectively buying out of the market, giving him the money he wants, paying him out the majority in the second 10 years of the 20-year deal. And it frees them up to go and chase whoever they want because money's not a problem. So the gap wow. for the, rich, the richer and the poorer, Wow. 
imagine Trenton's your days playing that you got right. We're going to offer you pint of coke after every game <laughs> for yeah. eight years, and then we'll give you ten mil a year after that. Buy your house every year for a year after that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's one yeah. of the strangest deals I've ever seen in sport. Yeah, unbelievable. Don't know how it's above board, but I'm sure there'll probably be more to come. And then the bigger question then is, if the IRS is watching, can yeah. he get somehow paid out to his Bahamas bank account and not pay US taxes? Because <laughs> it's amazing. When, when we first hit this article, I'll be 70 million, he'd pay 24 US tax and whatever Californian tax and whatever, whatever, whatever duties, doesn't even matter. He's only earning two mil. He's struggling. Yeah, no, nah, he's 17th highest player play on the roster. That's incredible. And another, another player who's uh, another golfer who's joined Liv, uh, John Rahm. We spoke about this last week or the week before about it yeah. might happen. Now it's happened. Yeah, and it's That's official. Six, 600 million they're talking about. So a um, little bit of lit after a a, a, pint, a pint of Coke. Um <laughs> And six hundred million at the top end—that's nine hundred and fourteen million Aussie dollars. So um, they're talking between three and six hundred, but there's all cutbacks, and we went through in great detail um, the reason why some of the guys are getting more and more upfront sign-on bonuses, and not because sponsors hadn't tra- you know followed over, but in some cases, followed, some stayed loyal to their players. Um, Cam Smith, who's still sponsored by all his his companies, so obviously this is this is huge, and this signing comes off the back of a deadline which is fast approaching, which is effectively um, New Year's Eve, December 31, the end of the year, um, between the Live and the Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, the, uh, fund and the PGA Tour are supposed to be striking a deal about this new company as to bringing both leagues together, so the US PGA and the Live. Um, of this deal, clearly this is another shot across the bow to say, you know what, uh, we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just signed the third best golfer in the world. John Rahm, he's got part as part of this six hundred million dollar deal. He's actually got part ownership of his own team, so he will have his own team um, with four players, of which he's one. Um, Tony, for now, who's a world renowned golfer, mm. um, was asked about this. He played a straight bat. He yeah. then, then said, "I want to look forward to returning to PGA Tour to defend two events." Does that actually mean he's going to live and he's only going to, as a former winner, can go back and play these events on the PGA Tour? Or is he committed to the PGA Tour? We don't know. Jason Day, meanwhile, has continued his resurgence in golf. He won a second title for 2023, the PGA Tour season-ending event in Florida. He teamed up with New Zealand superstar Lydia Ko to win this inaugural Grant Thornton Invitational Mixed Event, took home a million US dollars. He said... No, I'm committed. I know I've been mentioned as potential live. I'm not joining live. So there are word around that it'll be two more, three more players because Ram's got to fill his team and there'll be some mm. big names that potentially can join him. Um, but this is just forcing um, the PGA into negotiations. You can't oh, yeah. keep shedding big name players because all of a sudden um, the PGA Tour will be left without people. And then there's even allegations on social media to say the only reason Rory McIlroy is so defending of the PGA is PGA signing partnerships. McIlroy's being partners in that, so he's being paid for his loyalty. So there's all these sorts of allegations, I'll say, mm. um, from all sorts. And it's getting ugly because it's, you know, we talked about netball before. This war has already been public, right? Yeah. But for the common sense, it, for me, when I first saw it, I just thought World Series cricket. Mm. And, you know, go back and listen to the Big Deal podcast. We spoke to Greg Chappell uh, earlier last year about 
what it meant and how it worked. Back then, there were $200 a test match to, you know, decent money in the end, 80, 90 grand for cricket players. And that's, what, 70s and 80s. So this is just showing that um, money talks and bullshit walks. And, you know, eventually they're going to have to come somehow strike a deal where players will be free to be live contracted players who can pick and choose what events they want to play in the PGA. But if you keep losing players, the PGA is going to have to strike a deal. And I think the Saudis know that. Yeah, apologies for anybody, by the way, because there's a ton of thunder at the top of my house. It's a storm of ruin. Um, the NFL salary cap, while we're talking money, um, early projections is going to shoot up again to more than $240 million. And Yeah, this is the biggest sport in America, yeah. isn't it? Let's face it. Oh, yeah. um, and, and I must admit, I follow a bit of NRL, uh, sorry, NFL, and I follow it when it's go time, you know, on the eve of the Super Bowl, conference leagues, all that. I, I don't follow it. You know, week in, week out, 16-round season. Um, it's good in terms of, you know, performance. You're not getting bashed every week. Like, got NBA players are playing 80 games a year. Um, but the NFL is big, as you say. It is absolutely massive. And, and they're talking about how the cap will grow. Um, 2023, uh, $224.8 million. Um, That's where they reckon it'll get to. Um, and, you know, in 2019, it was 188. So it's risen significantly. Um mm. And this is what they're talking about. Uh, they're suggesting the next year's cap won't be set until January, but the NFL owners are expecting a third straight, straight year of growth. And, you know, if you're getting $228 million, um, it certainly adds up. And, you know, in 2022, the NFL is believed to have brought in close to $20 billion revenue. Their plan was 25, and they're not far away from it. You know, it is massive. You know, it doesn't help that um, Kelsey starts going out with Taylor Swift, so you're bringing in people who couldn't <laughs> give a stuff about sport. To, uh, to see if she's at the, the latest game. But, yeah, they, they know how to sell a product. Um, and it's the biggest sport. And they play rain, hail or shine or snow. 100%. And keep with American sports, the last one, LeBron. He's done it again. The NBA Cup, the inaugural NBA Cup, the in-season tournament, which a lot of people say it's a Mickey Mouse Cup. Which It is. Yep. Yeah, so call it the NAB Cup then. Um <laughs> Uh, but they still pocketed 500 grand. Not bad. Yeah, and this is what's good because, you know, the, the Lakers players all get 500 grand. But um, how good are those blokes who are on the 10-day contracts? Yeah. I mean, in short-term <laughs> contracts, that that effectively um, bumps up their salary very, very quickly. For LeBron and um, Davis, who were on close to 50 million US, um, Mate, it wouldn't even sit in their ashtray. But for the blokes who are on the edge, this is huge. And even the second place, uh, Indiana Pacers, um, they won 200 grand per player, US. So big money um, for a tournament that you're playing and getting paid for anyway as part of your original agreement. I never thought we'd be in a case where we'd be able to sell something we've already sold to people again to watch when you're actually <laughs> watching the same thing you signed up for, but you're being sold it again. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah. But you don't have to pay any more, but the league, because they'll colour the... You know, laminate the courts and put some fancy lights on, make you think you're in actually anything other than the normal regular season. Yeah, like a nightclub. It's What's the you- equivalent of basketball's version of selling ice to Eskimos. <laughs> Ain't that true. What what do you get for winning the Wizard Cup? Oh, I reckon the club made three hundred grand. That's that's not bad. Yeah. I think well, I don't think put nothing. <laughs> No, back then when people cared about the preseason comp, if you win your first game and you're doing all right, you go, well, 
you know, because you've got to play trial games anyway. Otherwise, you're going to NAB Regional Challenge where you just go all around the country and play in remote areas. And you need practice games and preparation. I didn't mind that. Maybe they might be serious and bring back the pre-season tournament. Yeah, With that, thanks for listening, guys. Like, comment, subscribe, all that jazz. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.